So, we live in interesting times, eh? Oh, yeah. What One might say that, Kyle. <laughs> we're, we're all trapped inside. And Star Trek Picard is here to comfort us, right? Star Trek Picard is here to cradle us like a caught death. <laughs> it's here to tell us everything sucks and you should probably just kill yourself. Oh my. I've got, Kyle, I, I've, I've conflicting thoughts and I think I'm probably more conflicted than you are. I think you're pretty set. I, I, I've got, I've got nice things to say as well as bad things. Well, let's start by saying we did an episode on the first episode when it came out, and we were. I went back and listened to some of it. We were overwhelmingly positive, ridiculously so. We were so innocent and naive. I like the first three episodes. <laughs> Episode five is when I turned on the show. I turned on it so much I made a whole video. Is this a Star City rag? I think you mean Stardust City rag. Yes, Stardust City rag. I You're... made a video. Yeah, Kyle made a video. Click, click, click the link. Uh, I remember, ladies and gentlemen, at the end of episode four, we saw the preview for episode five and I'd seen it first and then I sent it to Kyle and Kyle said, at least it looks like they're having fun. I, t- I didn't say it looks like they're having fun. I said it looks fun because they were in disguise. It looked like a sort of classic episode. Our man Bashir, that kind of thing. Yes. Bada bing, bada bang. And then it turned into schlock. And then Eshep has had his eyeball ripped out in the first five minutes. It, it swiftly turned into the Hostel movies, their horror, <laughs> body horror films. And it was so unnecessary, but we're kind of jumping ahead. I would like to note, though, because we'll come back around to it, I think the showrunners of the show, whether it be Michael Chabon or Alex Kurtzman or the writers, they have like a eye torture porn <laughs> fetish. Because it happens multiple times. You're right, it does. <laughs> it happens at least twice in the finale alone. It's, it's so gratuitous. But the first three episodes of this show, we're just on Earth. We kind of jumped to a Borg cube, but... Eh? Who cares, really? The Borg that's, cube's that's, that's the Borg pointless. cube for the whole show. It's who cares. Yeah, uh, yeah, who, yeah the, the, it was so pointless to the show. The Borg are in it just kind of because. Uh, because not, it's a the, thing you know. They're not at all relevant. I remember the Borg. Do you remember the Borg? I, I remember Seven of Nine. Do you remember Hugh? I, I do remember Hugh. I didn't remember Hugh when they brought Jonathan Del Arco on stage, but I remember Hugh. But no, so the first three episodes are on Earth. Very nice. The Romulan uh, housekeepers are actually really likeable. I like those characters. And there's a really good action scene where the Romulan death squad, which they, they're complete, they're stupid, by the way, but <laughs> When they come to his house, the housekeepers do a really... It was, I think it was quite well shot as well. They do a really little good action sequence there where they try and defend him. It's really nice. Apparently Picard has uh, phasers tucked away in his house, you know, like a proper... Well, they're ex, boy. they're ex Tal Shiar, whatever. I'll forgive yeah, what, them that. Yeah, it's per- perfectly fine. I, w- I won't critique them for it. It's just I, just I just find it quite funny that he had guns everywhere. And then the second he says engage on the bridge of the La Serena, 
I think I disengaged. <laughs> Episode four wasn't awful. Um, with with Elnor on the planet of. Was that episode four? I think that was episode four. I, I yeah, it was because Elnor comes with them to Stardust City Rag. We could go beat to beat. My problems with the show aren't really beat to beat; they're more scatterbrained. I think we never even produced. Um, I really dislike this show. I, I know I made a video that was quite critical, but I don't think that video quite expressed how angry the show makes me. Yeah, here's the thing. People who like this show, I think they do a very good job at giving you an overview on what the show is about. And I think just to read that, you could be fooled into thinking that the show is actually probably quite good. And you know what? I I, th- I agree with the premise of this show. See if I'd never watched it and someone, or as people have tried to explain to me, just the outline of the show. It sounds fine. I can't really object to the messaging. Here's the thing, you've sent me those messages, you've been getting into arguments and stuff, and I read that and I'm thinking, did they watch a different show? <laughs> yeah, well here's my thing, or my, my main thing about the entire show, I should say, listeners, if you haven't already gathered by this point, we're going to be kind of going like a scatter shot. We're going to assume that you've watched the show. <laughs> Yeah, all episodes. In general, I think we'll try and go linear, but I can't promise it. There's just... The show seems to lack consequences, in my opinion. I feel like whenever it does something that I like, I feel like I like it because I'm a fan of the franchise or I'm a fan of the character, but it doesn't feel earned. For instance, I'll jump right to the end. Because the most recent episode that's fresh in my mind and I've been analysing it a lot. The end scene with Data and Picard, I absolutely love it. Like, I, I quite genuinely think it's absolutely brilliant. It's very nice, it's very touching, it hits me in the feels. Now, I happen to think hitting people in the feels without reasoning is also a flaw of the show. But it worked anyway, even if it's a cheap trick. And... I think, despite the fact that it worked, I'm a bit salty that I feel like they didn't earn it. Like, it didn't become apparent that Data was alive as a copy inside that little computer. Like, that was never apparent throughout the show. It just kind of... Picard sitting in his death vineyard and Data sits down in his nemesis uniform and you're not sure if this is a dream and then they kind of say it's a simulation, but is it a simulation or is just him is, is the dream telling him it's a simulation it was very sloppy here's the thing that scene doesn't change at all if it's just the dream oh yeah completely <laughs> come if it's a dream more or less it stays the same and then he gets up to leave and it's like well that's him just waking up which essentially it yeah. was because he was just hitting the reboot button he was coming out of a coma for for lack of a better term you know, Data always wanting to be human and them talking about things that are precious because they're finite and because they don't last. All of it, loved it. It was very good. Well, look, it's a carry-on from... People have pointed this out. It's a carry-on from Data's philosophy all the way back in Time's Arrow. Like, life is only meaningful if it's finite. But he has a line in yeah. there which really bugs me. And I could nitpick the hell out of this show. I could do a five-hour review Mauler style of just every single beat by beat if I wanted to, which I don't. But he said a, he said a line that was a butterfly that lives forever isn't a butterfly at all, and I, I just what does that mean though? It's still a butterfly. 
It's one of these lines that sounds really weighty and heavy, but if you think about it, it doesn't actually make sense. Yeah, like you could be a human that somehow just will persistently not die. That doesn't mean you're not human. It is, it's one of those things where it sounds quite profound, but if you happen to have unlocked the key to immortality, you're still a human at the end of the day. This butterfly. You know, I think the point is it comes back to the things aren't things are precious because they're finite and they don't last forever. And if things last forever, then they become less meaningful. Very weighty. But when you think about it, it actually doesn't mean much because if Q popped in and made you immortal, you're still going to value the next 70 or however many years of your life because you don't, you've yet to reach that point where you're dead. Even if you weren't immortal, you'll still be alive for a number of decades. Here's the thing too, is that the moral of the show? Because that concept is only introduced in the last five minutes. I, I don't think so. I don't think that is the moral of the show. I just think, again... What is the point of the show? Why did I watch it? Uh, equal rights. <laughs> I think. Uh, it's the best Mass Effect TV show we've ever got. It's I, I, They could make a better Mass Effect show. Yeah, but that doesn't exist yet. I would say, okay, also, rather, that when it comes down to this feeling thing and how something isn't earned, I love the character of Data, the characters of Data and Picard. I think they're brilliant. And I think those two actors together on screen just ooze, like, talent. And that's why I liked it so much. But See, we talk about the butterfly isn't the butterfly and it's profound, but if you think it, or it's supposed to be weighty, but it's really quite stupid. I think that's my problem with the writers of this show. They think they're really clever and they don't really realise that they're supposed to be just writing a television show. You can have messaging in a show, but they, they just sound so kind of, oh, this is beautiful and it's a, it's a general feeling. It's It's like sensation over reason like it sounds really beautiful that doesn't mean that it necessarily makes any it's sense it's a discovery problem it's exactly like that scene between uh, Saru and Michael Burnham when it's you're like a brother to me Saru and I'm going to have to kill you now and cut out your things and it's a really on its own it's a really powerful and beautiful scene but it isn't aired by the show in any way and that's how I feel about this Picard and Data one as well Data shows up and it's a clone of Data and he's alive again and then they kill him off again and we've only known this new version of Data for five seconds it's it's not earned in any way he just shows up yeah no it's not it's, it's not earned he just he, and, and because they've already set up him on the Enterprise with Picard playing poker at the very start of the first episode, and that was a dream, but he was in his nemesis uniform. Was 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 that actually? Was that? What was that? Was that real? No, that was just a dream. Yeah, I know. I I when I watched, it, I thought it was just a dream too. But now he shows up in his nemesis uniform, and Data has a discussion with Picard about are those the clothes you died in, Captain? When Data's wearing the clothes he also died in. But when he shows up painting the picture, he's in his TNG uniform. So that's clearly, like, not him. That's a dream. No, the first two scenes in the first episode with Data are just dreams. They have no connection to this simulation whatsoever. See, I would say that too. But just because they do a whole thing about how I'm wearing my death clothes, and there's two scenes already, one where he is wearing his death clothes and they're playing poker, another one where he's painting and he isn't wearing his death clothes. So... Like, are they trying to imply that maybe that first scene was, like, the simulation? 
even though the rest of the show wasn't like was are they trying to bookend that it? wouldn't make any sense are whatsoever they, I don't think it would make any sense either but I don't think it's beyond this show oh god oh god oh. this is the thing we're already spending way too long talking about the last episode can we touch? Can we touch? There's so much. Here's, we haven't even spoken about the new stuff yet because the next thing I want to talk about is Riker. Like, it's oh my. So I'll instead of going talking about him in the last episode, I'll talk about him with Troy on that planet. Sure. Very nice episode. I thought it's very nice. Sure, it's very nice. It's the nicest episode of the show. Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis, wonderful people. I believe it's her birthday today as we're recording it. Happy birthday, Marina. Happy birthday. <laughs> and it genuinely feels like Picard and Soji decided to pause the roller coaster and just step into an episode of Star Trek for half an hour. <laughs> but even then, I will say... Very nice those two people I believe as actors maybe not as creative people like directors and such because I'm talking about how Freaks directs Discovery and whatnot. Do they probably remember more about the show than Patrick Stewart I believe sure just because like you know Patrick Stewart's had a vast ranging career and everyone knows Patrick Stewart globally people probably don't know Jonathan Freaks and Marina Sirtis outside Star Trek they've done some stuff but they're not you know this is what they're known for Marina Sirtis and Jonathan Freaks they're on a planet having family eating pizza and Counselor Troy is wonderful, clearly doing the same job she always was trained in. She can sense emotion. She hugs him, and she has like profound. She's profoundly impacted by his sense. I'll say she was better in this than she was in any of the movies. <laughs> Heyo. Now that's nice, and he's got a family. And there's a bit where he accuses Picard of never having raised a child before, and I'm like, well, the inner light happened. So, here, I would like to put this point to people to defend this show. Because people enjoy it, and people like what they like. But I just want people to think about this. Now, people say, the writers of this show, they have worked on Voyager, they've wrote some Star Trek novels, and they put in Easter eggs elsewhere, that means they must have watched it all. Well, yeah, this is something I was considering making a video about, but I couldn't figure out how to frame it well, properly. maybe after... But the this show has will get there. the show has deep cuts in it. A lot of deep cuts that even go past me and you. Yeah, sometimes we miss it and we have to find out after the fact. But they also miss really blatant ones. And I'm like, how could you have done that, but also have missed this? And people can say, well, other Star Trek was inconsistent. Well, I will say, I think it's harder to be consistent when you're working in the factory when the cogs are spinning. Like, when you're inconsistent in an episode of Voyager and you might kind of twig with something that happened in DS9. I I don't like it. I wish they wouldn't do it. But they're working in the factory as it's running. But after Trek ended in 2005, the foundations, the ground, like when you demolish a building, the land underneath it kind of settles into place. You have time to let everything breathe. And when you're going to start up that engine again, the Star Trek engine of making television, everything has now cemented and contradictions and retcons you kind of can't do anymore because you're not doing it on the fly in a, in a machine that's being turned for 18 years straight. Everything is settled. You're starting it back up again. Look at everything. How can you miss the inner light? I, I, 
It's one of the most famous episodes. Quite literally, I'm, supri- I'm surprised he never played the flute in this show. I'm shocked that he never played the flute. And you, I'll say enough, th- there's a thing in the show that's been buggy. It's not a critique, it's just a thing that I noticed. Whenever they mention his brain condition, they never name it. It's weird, right? They never say Uromatic Syndrome. Might be mispronouncing that. I think I think it's a legal thing, like the Tom Paris <laughs> situation. I think they don't want to pay the guy that named it. Oh, but they named the guy who named Bruce Maddox. Maybe he's dead. <laughs> Apologies to the writer of that episode. I can't. Oh, remember. you might not even be wrong. Yeah, like he might be dead, and they don't need to pay his estate. But the guy that came up with the rheumatic syndrome is still alive. Oh God! Is it also me, or does the virus or the condition work completely differently than it did in best and all good things? Well, it hadn't in all good things. It was getting worse, but it hadn't got to its terminal stage yet. I know the disease overall was terminal. But like, in all good things, it was more like dementia. I thought it what? No, he was kind of becoming senile, and I think that was like a symptom, which I know was linked to dementia. But I think this was like kind of it's been brought on really suddenly and rapidly, and he's kind of jumped from first stage to end stage, and there's been no middle bit where you kind of it fades. You know, it kind of comes and goes. He, here's the thing with that: he never has. He never has any symptoms of this of this condition. He passes out once and then he dies. That's all the condition does. They me- yeah, they mention it. They mention it once, and he's like, "I don't want to talk about it. Or you'll piss me off." And I'm like, "Oh, Picard, pissing people off." Then it's kind of disappears, and it comes back up again when he's piloting the La Serena, and it all just kind of it just hits him all at once, and he gets injected with drugs to keep him running for half an hour or something. And then Riker comes in, he speaks to Riker, he doesn't tell Riker he's about to die, he lets Riker leave, and he says, au revoir, or adieu. That's kind of, again, it's supposed to be quite profound that, like, he's he's speaking, he's speaking in a foreign language, and he's saying goodbye for the final time, but not to his face, he's saying it after he's already went off the screen, and went to warp, and it's, oh, Riker said, until we meet again, my friend, or something, and Picard's like, yes. And then he goes away and he's like, au revoir. And it's supposed to be emotional. You're never going to see him again. I'm like, surely they would have told him, here, your friends just died, get back here, or about to die. <laughs> Riker would be there like a shot so quickly. Oh my God. He doesn't tell him for no reason. There's literally no reason he doesn't tell him, hey Riker, my oldest friend, I'm about to die. Can you be here with me while I Defenders die? Defenders of the show will say it's because he didn't want to talk about it already and it will piss people off. But this was literally the end of his life. And again... Can I just say too? What? If the show wasn't called Star Trek Picard, this probably would have been a better moment if Picard had actually just died. I wouldn't be surprised if he actually did die because when they started off... Patrick Stewart wanted to do a one-and-done miniseries because there was a lot of talk at the start if this was going to be a limited run or not. If just like a one-season, kind of eight episodes, very great. But I think a lot has changed because as we found out, apparently Admiral Clancy was supposed to be at the end, which for the purposes of the show would bookend a lot nicer, but then they changed it to Riker sometime... I believe sometime after they filmed episode six, they changed that. So originally he wasn't even supposed... To, I know he was supposed to be Clancy, but... Um, it was actually quite late on in the stage they decided let's bring him back. Which which has the great effect of meaning that Admiral uh, Cussword has absolutely no payoff or conclusion. Exactly. 
we have one scene where she tells Picard to fuck off, and then we have another scene where she says, fuck you, Picard, you're right. And that's all of it. And then some point between that and the end of the show, she decides not to be android racist anymore. For some, yeah, for some reason, everyone's fine. Even though the, the only thing that changed is that the androids almost genocided them. But they've decided androids are fine now. Because of the... I can't remember the Because of treaty. what? Because the of Al- what? Treaty of Algeran. Picard asked to open up diplomatic relations and that put it under the protection of the Federation and the Romulan Star Empire. Couldn't get at it in all their massive ships. And... Right, I hate, right, oh, I hate, right we're going to get into... I want to get into this as well. Less of a critique about the story, more critique... Or a potential critique. It's more of a worry I have. Maybe they won't do this and everything I say here will be let at ease. So anyone that listens to this, don't worry just yet. I might complain about it if they were to persist, but they haven't, so we'll leave it. The ships, the end. From what I've been able to find out, the Federation starships, they're all the same model, except they have two different forms of nacelles. And that leads to all the ships almost looking identical, bar maybe their nacelles are slightly different. Every second ship has a different design. You know? I didn't even notice that. Right, neither did I. I found this out after the fact. And some of those shots are quite like they're quite close up, like they're discovery level intense. You're looking at the ship, the hero ship, and they look quite mm-hmm. under rendered. That whole final it's it's so crazy to me that you would do this. A Starfleet always has big lots of different variation ships this is a thing in every show the, and it's great the deep space nine fleet shots not the fights necessarily well yes the f- fight scenes as well but just the shots of the fleets they look varied and diverse and interesting and they're also just shot well like the shit the camera what's crazy is even in discovery they have the big varied fleets yes i i don't think they're shot as well as ds9 but they have a varied fleet and the second thing is so you have the scene where where Agnes uses the magic device to create a bunch of holograms of La Serena. Yes. And then not but five minutes later, Starfleet shows up with a bunch of ships that look exactly the same, but this time they're not holograms. <laughs> How did you not notice that you did the same thing again? Well, what I would like to comment on about these ships are, apparently, they are the toughest, roughest vessels Starfleet has ever put into service. Yep. And they made 60,000 of them. See, that's the thing. In, like, Discovery Season 2, at the end, it's a battle of thousands of ships, and it's comical. It is... The end of Discovery Season 2 is... I laughed. It's stupid. (laughs) When the Enterprise and Discovery have, like, 30,000 fighter craft that come out of the back. Right, yeah, it's so silly. But I don't want to get on that. We've spoken about that before, I'm sure. In this, they say this is the roughest, toughest... Then it's between hundreds of ships instead of thousands, which is the the bring the scale down. And you know why are they committing hundreds of vessels to this one planet? Well, they thought the Reapers were going to come through, so I can live with it. But they say the roughest, toughest vessel Starfleet's ever put into service. The Zhang He is the flagship of the Federation. Now, apparently, no, wait, wait, hang on a second. They didn't know about the Reapers. Well, they knew the Romulan fleet was there. That they only came for the Romulan fleet. They had no idea about the Reapers. Right. Okay. Well. I would still send hundreds of ships to stand down our Romulan fleet. How they got those ships there that fast, I don't know. Because in Deep Space Nine, we kind of go into the fact that ships take time to travel places. But no, you're, 
They said that the Romulans were going to be moving for two days. Yep. And that's why they had some time to prepare. But Riker didn't ask for reassignment until Picard sent out that SOS. Nope, we don't even know where this planet is. But presumably it's it's like 15 light years from the Romulan neutral zone. So it's somewhere out of Federation space, I would assume. Yes. Well, what I'd like to talk about... But they just got there in five minutes after Picard called them. No, I think he, he called them like the last episode and I think it was like a day apart. They got there in one day. But in that one day, Riker has to ask for reassignment, presumably get to a starbase, get a ship. How did Riker even know? He, Picard didn't call Riker, he called Starfleet. Some Someone, Jordy sent him a message. Like, Here, Picard's asking for help. Those ships, though, I keep wanting to talk about the ships, not necessarily the story, but the ships. They say roughest stuff a ship. Zhang He, apparently the Enterprise isn't the flagship anymore, but that's fine. I can live with it, though I think maybe it should be anyway. Those ships are quite small. Those ships are barely larger than a Nova. They might be on par with an Intrepid. A Nova is the Equinox ship, by the way. They look they look similar in size to Voyager to me. Yes, so see when you look at the windows and stuff like you look at freeze frames of the ships, they aren't they aren't that much bigger, but it looks like it kind of looks quite similar to an Odyssey from Star Trek Online. Apparently, the ship's actually a design that Rick Sternback created in like twenty thirteen or something for Star Trek Online. So they're just recycling old models, which is fine. And I just hope that they realise the size of ship they're working with, because even though the ship looks quite small or intrepid size, they're gonna have massive hangar bays of turbo lifts <laughs> on roller coaster lines. Oh, the, the the discovery turbo lifts that go into black void. Yeah, it's like Monsters Inc. And it's it's comical. Now, I hope this is what I mean by I want to bring it up and they haven't done it yet, but they might. Given the track record, I think they might. I hope they they understand the scaling of the ships that they use, and if we ever see those ships again, they're just not colossal you know they're not massive when there's only like five windows like if they made the defiant today it would be the size of the dreadnought vengeance from star trek into darkness yes oh man they're gonna do it you know they are alex kurtzman is in charge let's hope for better star trek discovery season three late 2020 i think I don't know anymore. I don't know anymore. So, Riker has a nice wee standoff. And again, I quite it's not earned, but I quite liked it. Where he says he's going to... I thought it was a bit forward. He's like, nothing would give me more pleasure. And I'm like, you're going to take pleasure in firing all those torpedoes? Okay. Yeah, this is Star Trek. Yeah. Everyone loves violence Everyone loves Star violence. Trek. But he's talking about kicking her treacherous Tal Shiar ass. And for some mm-hmm. reason, Jonathan Frakes and Phil Riker, because in the episode where he's making pizza, he looks like a crazy man with like, his hair and his beard and everything and his apron. But in mm-hmm. this episode, he's in the uniform. His hair is a little bit more trimmed. His beard. Well, he, he cleaned up to put on his he, uniform. He, yes, and that's nice. He felt more Rikerish to me, and just I just Does loved it. Feel it. Like Riker should be an admiral at this point. I guess he quit early. To he took save Kirk's his advice son. from generations. And just I I just liked him in the captain's chair doing that lean that he does. 
from a fan perspective, I agree. It's oh, it's Riker. He's in the chair. Yeah. From a, a story maker's perspective, it should have been Clancy. It, it should have obviously been Clancy. Obviously, it should have been Clancy. And I kind of, you know, I think, I think season two ain't going to touch on any of it. Nope. Clancy, I'll be lucky if she shows up. They've still got the admirals from the next generation. Um, what's her face? The one that Picard didn't get on with, but then he gave her sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's still alive. She's still she's on the convention circuit. Have her show up. She's looking her seventies now or something. How about Janeway? How about Janeway? Yeah. God, what would be wrong with that? You know. Um, get some admirals. Well, no, because but Janeway's important, so they need to set her up for her own violent revenge show, Star Trek Janeway. Seven and nine will also show up. She'll show up and kill more women for revenge. <laughs> Do you think we're going to see any more of apparently Seven and Nine's LGBT status? Do they have the balls? She's bisexual. We know that. Sure, I don't. I don't care. But like, I don't know. It's the equivalent. Seven of, of Nine has nothing to do with the show. By the way, why was Seven of Nine in the show? To make people happy. Apparently, people thought she was just okay in Voyager, and now after Picard, she's their top five. Oh my god. Uh, uh, comments like that are insane to me, because what was Seven's arc in this show? She killed a woman for revenge, and then she killed another woman for revenge, and then, no, before that she said that because she wanted to kill herself because she had no home, because she was an XB, and it's... You know, thanks, Janeway. You sent me that Variety article, I think it was Variety, of them interviewing Michael Chabon, and mm-hmm. he talks about how he knew decisions he was making was going to piss some people off, but he had to stick by his guns. And I respect that, right? Like, you, sometimes you need to kill people off and people will be sad by it. They killed off Spock sure. in Wrath of Khan, but it was a I, I, character... I agree with that in principle. Yeah, I, it's a character people knew, and they had a death that was fitting of their status. Like, Echeb is a character that was well-liked. It was, she, he wasn't a character of the week. He was a he was a recurring... De- it would be like if they killed Keiko O'Brien in the first two seconds of season two. More than that, it would be like if they killed um, Keiko and O'Brien's kid. Because we only knew Echeb as a kid. Or as, like, a teenager or something. Yeah. It, it's... it's just so bewildering and they never got the same actor back which he's very salty about he's trying to be diplomatic I guess he he kind of got embarrassing on social media about it actually it was kind of like right okay shut up and I know they recast people that happens in Star Trek it has happened right but you can kind of have a general sus for when or not it's fine it'd be like if they brought back Shran in an episode and it wasn't Jeffrey Combs well, look, they, they recast Bruce Maddox, which I'm fine with. It's such a minor character that it doesn't really matter. Doesn't matter. I have a feeling they didn't want to ask the actor of Echeb because he was going to come back to die in five minutes and there was just no point. And he probably would have said no. Oh, no, I think he would have said yes. That guy ain't getting a lot of work, I don't think. <laughs> I'm surprised his Twitter's verified. So... I, I think the death was a waste because it wasn't befitting of his station. I think if we'd spent... It was also so needlessly graphic. Yeah, oh yeah. That, like I say, I, I fetish. I fetish. These, these people, they seem to like torturing the eye. <laughs> and obviously the problem I pointed out in my video with Little Dig was that 
those wounds were not life-threatening in Star Trek in any way. No, not at all. Not at all. Like, it was graphic, but Jordy has robotic eyes. This isn't an issue. I believe in that interview, again, This she says that, or he says that now Echeb has become part of Seven's story instead of him having his own. I was like, what was wrong with his own story? Again, if he dies... And also, having... he was always part of Seven's story. He was part of Seven's quest for humanity. Yeah, to now learning about being a parent and stuff. Yeah, she was passing on the lessons that she'd learned from Janeway. It was a whole thing. And now that just doesn't matter. He's... And now he, she's, he's just a side note on her quest for evil, for sweet, sweet she, vengeance. He, yeah, he has no character motivation. He has lazy character motivation. Lazy character motivation for a character, this this villain that we're supposed to hate, and then she dies in that same episode, and that's it. You killed off Echep to kill off this other character for some sweet, sweet revenge in the same episode. And it's not like you couldn't have had Seven of Nine show up on the board cube if that episode didn't happen. No. She still could have shown up later. That whole subplot about that woman stealing Borg parts has nothing to do with the plot of the show. Yeah, it, it was so... Nothing ep- to do it with it. It was so episode of the week. And I've seen a bottle episode show. That's great. If you're the... I'm not insisting on you telling serialised stories. I would prefer a bottle, but if you're the one that wants to I tell would absolutely prefer a bottle episode show. If you're the one that wants to tell the serialised stories, then you've got to tell serialised stories. These bottle subplots are completely stupid. Like when we spent two seconds seeing Raffi's family. That could have been a really good episode of the week. I would have spent 40 to 50 minutes with her. But no, you spent... But it has nothing to do with the show. Yeah. Do we need to know... For this show, do we even need to know that Raffi has a son? No, we don't. It's it's completely superfluous. Because people are saying, well, she's got a son and that's why we should care about her. And she's got, like, family troubles. Okay. That's not relevant to this season, though. It's not a story that they're telling. They're just letting you know it's a thing. It's not even character development at this point, because it was so poorly done. I think what this is, is the writers... The writers know these characters in and out, right? Yeah. They know everything about them. But they don't know that we don't. Yeah, exactly. They just assume that we also know these characters the way that they do. And this is... A, this is a sign of what I would call amateurish writing. This is what you this is what you would write for characters on like season three. This is how you would write them. These characters are well established, we already know them. So Michael Javon, he's written some Star Trek books, am I right? He uh, mm, you put him in the spot there saying Star Trek books, I, I think he has, but he's written novels and I believe he's a Pulitzer Prize winner. I think I said I saw somewhere that he's written Star Trek books, because this is how you would write a book about Jordy, say. You don't have to introduce Jordy, you can assume the audience already knows Jordy, yeah, right? Yeah, you don't need to spend time setting up characters, we know them. Because this show, it has new characters. And people, I've seen people talking about it. Right, obviously the, the Star Trek Twitter account, they only tweet good things. But this is a good sample for what people are saying anyway. Yes. They're saying that all these new characters are brilliant. You know, Raffi, Jurati... Rios, Elnor, they're all these amazing new characters, and I'm just not seeing it. We barely know these characters. It's like, what do we know about Elnor? He, He's a nice boy. He was a child that never got a family on 
please, friends, choose to live. Yeah, and I, I think it was Red Letter Media that brought this up, but Alex Kurtzman really likes that line, or Michael yes. Chabon, or whoever wrote it. it oh, it's so badass. It, it's, it's supposed to be like, a, oh, I'm going to get that on a t-shirt, or I'll get it on a tattoo with like a picture of a Romulan sword. It, I think, they think this is really artsy, Kyle. See, when we talk about the butterflies and a butterfly lives forever, it's all this profound... That's the whole show, yeah. It's this profound artsy thing. It, they're not treating it, I, I don't, at least I don't believe they are. I don't believe they're treating it like proper science fiction. They're trying to be really just kind of, oh, la-di-da. And these people that have wrote these really good books and stuff, and the one really high acclaimed prizes, they clearly must have talent. But it doesn't count in this show. I'm not just because they've done other good stuff. It doesn't mean they're necessarily operating in full talent levels here. J.K. Rowling undoubtedly is a good writer for things like Harry Potter, but then they gave her the ability to screenwrite for a Fantastic Beasts movie, and it wasn't that good. You can be talented in one area and not in another, even though there is they're part of the same kind of industry. That's the thing too, because this is a shorter show. You need to write it like it's a shorter show. We're supposed to believe that all these characters have these really in-depth relationships. Like, they keep cutting to shots of Seven of Nine and Elnor, and they're best friends now, even though we've barely seen them interact. But they're best friends now. And that's just not how it works. The show would have you believe that she's closer with Elnor than than she ever was with Echeb. Well, then she ever was with Echeb, then she ever was with Janeway, because apparently she has no home. Even though the whole thing with Voyager's Voyager's home to all these people and it's nice, but nope. She's forgotten all about Harry Kent. She's forgotten all about Neelix. I'll be leaning in that area, Fuck and all I those think people. there's a story to be told there. They will never tell it. But I think no. there's an interesting story to be told there, because Seven of Nine was always kind of flaky. That's why at first her killing the the bad lady... It didn't. It annoys me more that I settle on it, but at first it didn't annoy me that much because she's all. Seven always been quite a flaky person. I think killing is over the line, but I wouldn't be surprised if she did some sort of falling out with the Voyager crew. But I'd like to see it or hear about it, and we're never gonna. No, you know what's gonna happen? They, there's big talks about the Doctor showing up in the next season, right? Yes. Apparently, he's in talks. Apparently, Robert Picardo was. A and they're gonna show up, and they're gonna have a conversation, and it's gonna be like nothing happened. They're gonna be old friends, just like Riker he'll, and Picard, he, and it's he'll, never gonna he'll be make addressed. Seven of nine a pizza from a pizza oven. It's yeah. He'll show up. He'll show up at the end with a fleet of medical ships. <laughs> oh god. He'll have one million mobile emitters. It doesn't. Holographs are showing up everywhere in this show. They must have reverse engineered that mobile emitter technology. This is another minor thing. In the first, I specifically in our review of the first episode, I said I liked the holograms in this show. Yes. And I'm gonna walk that back. All right. Okay. I'm interested. Let's go. Everything is holograms in this show. Everything, and it just irritates me. It's there's no reason for it. It's just because they think it looks cool that every every interface is holograms. Because they, I would say this is this is kind of inconsistent reasoning, but it's profound and it's la di da. But then it was your explanation, like they think this is watertight. Why is everything well? It's the future, and look at us today. We're already moving from like you know glass panels to pseudo holograms. Where will they be then? Yes, 
but this show is almost like a period piece now after 60 years, well, not 60 years, but you know what I mean, like over 50 years of setup. You've got to kind of keep it in keeping with there. There also wasn't a eugenics war in the 90s, you know? This this is science fiction. All of the holographic interfaces look like, whoa, pop sci-fi holographic interfaces. Well, that's not how holograms in Star Trek look. Also, this show does look more advanced than Discovery because they decided to be so pretentious. No, but like holographs in Star Trek, they've always looked just like normal things. You go to the holodeck and it looks like 1940s America. Yes, you know? it looks like you're in Dixon Hill's reality. Where now everything's kind of got like to be... It doesn't look like a cool holographic s- interface. It's got to be cyberpunky and neon and Blade Runner. Seven of Nine, getting back to Seven of Nine. Yeah. It's just so depressing, her whole thing. You know, her story in Voyager... It's, it's it's nice, you know, she goes from introduced, she's very robotic, she'll say things about not going on the missions because it'll endanger the crew and stuff like this, and she's very robotic and formulaic. And over the course of four seasons, we see her become more human until we get to human error, and she wants to be more human, but she's kind of hiding it because she's embarrassed about it, and it's a really nice episode, right? Yeah. And then we get to this episode and she's drunk and depressed and murdering people for revenge and talking about wanting to kill herself. And it's like, no, this isn't what I want. This isn't why I watch Star Trek. But it's supposed to reflect the reality of today. We're so darker. This is what I might actually make a video on is the real world comparisons that were a big deal. You know, people, there was a bunch of angry stupid YouTube videos about how this show's about Brexit and Trump, right? Yeah. This is a thing? Yeah. Try and follow those lines of where they start and where they end in the show because they don't work at all, these parallels. Yeah, they're always meaning, they're always points to an end, I agree. Like, okay, the synth band kind of became irrelevant when they go meet Soji. Like, and they say, oh, I'm free to travel now that the travel ban's been lifted. When you were running away, it never felt like it was in place. They never brought it up as like an obstacle. The other one is, uh, there's a clear parallel from the Romulan refugees to say like Syrian refugees, yes. right? You could make that pretty clear parallel. Yes. But then by the end of the show, Romulans are just the bad guys again. So there is no message there. Completely. I, I, I like. They also have fleets of starships. They don't seem to be struggling economically. That planet no. that is kind of in Federation space and the Fenris Rangers are protecting and Romulans live there, are they under the protection of the Federation or are they under the protection of those Romulan starships? And they have that sign there that says Romulans only and it's just, it's nonsense. It's complete nonsense and it has, and it's a parallel for the sake of a parallel. They're not saying anything about it. It's convenient to the story to make a point, even if it doesn't make sense in the wider world. Now, in Star Trek Online, there's the Romulan Star Empire, and there is the Romulan Republic, I believe, and it's like Romulans that kind of wanted to go more towards kind of democracy, and even maybe one day joining the Federation, and Romulans that kind of wanted to stay part of the Star Empire that had existed through TNG, DS9, TOS, that, that Romulan Empire. You know what that sounds like, Nathan? That sounds like Star Trek. <laughs> right, well... 
I can't tell if this show is trying to do that, or not. maybe not trying to do it in, in this show, but they're kind of trying to set that premise up to expand on, where, like, the Fenris Ranger Romulan refugee planet that the nuns live on might be kind of trying to start up that Romulan Republic. And then General O is, like, part of the Star Empire, kind of. They want everything to stay the way it was before the supernova. And if the show is trying to do that, it's doing a really bad job at it. It's never established that that's the case. It's never ever. established that that's the case. But I, cause if I didn't, if I hadn't played Star Trek Online, I wouldn't even be able to try and make that case. I'm using exterior knowledge to fill that in. They mix, they mix their, they mix their parallels too. Because early on in the show, the Romulans are supposed to be, are victims of racism, immigrants type sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then it's androids, and then it's also the XBs. They go into it with the XBs as well, and none of it works because we never see XB racism ever, do we? No, it's just kind of all implied. It's it's people keep saying that XBs aren't treated well, but you know, based on our former viewing of Star Trek, that's not even true. Picard's an XB, and it's never a problem. Seven of Nine gets some vague looks at the very start of Voyager, but then. That's over pretty quickly. And that's also because she was still looking like a Borg. Right, exactly. Once she becomes more human again, it's barely even a problem. Are they? I think the Borg thing might not be a thing like the immigration thing. I think it might be a thing for... No, I can't believe we're discussing this, but is it a thing for the trans community? And then that bit where the Romulan, call, that XB calls him Locutus, is that... Are they dead naming him? <laughs> Like, I knew you would like. Before I said it, I said, "Right, this will get a little chuckle from you, Kyle." But I'm, I, I'm, I'm, you know I'm, I'm kind of serious. You're, you're, you might not even be wrong, and if that's the case, oh god. It, and it's, I think, I think it's poorly done as well. But maybe people that are in that community clue on it a lot quicker than we do. But it, it's not. I, I, I believe from speaking from a cis hetero man. I, it, it didn't come across at all and the Borg never kind of had that story to them. There was always a discussion about ex-Borgs and remember those three that meet Seven on Voyager when they dock at that space station and he, yep. she kind of reassimilated them into like a mini-collective for a period of time and it's linked their brains. Well, this is another thing from that uh, Michael Chabon interview in Variety. He says, oh, we, I really wanted to show the sympathetic side of the Borg, of the ex-Borg. They've never been sympathetic before. And that was the point reading that. I just went... Fuck you, man. <laughs> yeah, so the, these people, the and the, I remember that that one tweet. I think you sent me it, or I sent you, it, or we bred it or something. We talk about how what did we know about Romulans before this show, and what do we know about the use? Yeah, you sent that one to me. It, Romulans were shifty and evil, but now they're a complex, multifaceted society. And I think I've mentioned to you before the episode of Voyager where they take that Romulan into the future, and he promises to transmit their messages when he goes back in time. Yep. And there's that episode, I think, was it called The Fugitive or something, where there's that Romulan that defects sure. in season three of TNG, but it turns out all his information was fake. There's just so all, can... there's all of the stuff with the Romulans in DS9. Yeah, there's that, there's the episode where they kidnap Deanna Troy in TNG, and she isn't even, that isn't even a high up Romulan that does it, it's like a lower Romulan, and he's trying to stop, I think he's trying to stop a war or something, I can't remember the specifics. Reunification! Reunification. There's so many facets to Romulan culture. There's the one with um during the war in DS9, like you say, where they have a Romulan military hospital in Bajoran space, but they've put weapons on it. What's going to happen there? Mm-hmm. It, 
Romulans were always quite interesting in episodes like the one with them, the the one that went on the Picard ship, the Enterprise, to try and give information. It turned out to be false, but he'd done it anyway. Or the the Voyager one with the one that wanted to take the messages back with him. These are all amazing episodes. They're really good. But people seem to forget about them, though at the same time say these writers have clearly watched all of Star Trek. Which one is it? Have they watched Star Trek? Do they get Star Trek or do they not get Star Trek? I tend to fall on the side I tend to fall on the side that they don't, but then how do I address all those hard hitting Easter eggs? Well here's my theory for the hard hitting Easter eggs, and it's the it's what I'm working on. Is they have one super Star Trek nerd working there and he his job is to go like Ah, uh, and this scene you can include a copy of Flounder, and that would really impress the fans. And that's Possibly. that's his job is to just look up uh, memory alpha and find deep cut Easter eggs that they could put in the show. Yeah, like okay, like here's something that'll get the fans because it's it's a lot easier to not have watched it but pull out Easter eggs with you know you could like you can dive in. And Michael Tribon says he spent a lot of time memory alpha. He said, but he said that in the interview from a point of view of like I've watched all the episode and wanted to know more. Maybe he, maybe he isn't. <laughs> maybe he just spent time in memory alpha to find out how to try and get the fans happy. Well, the other but, one that was like that was a deep cut. That was a big deal. Was the the Bar Queen's magic teleporter is based on a Delta technology of a race in the Delta Quadrant from Voyager. There and that's, one oh, it's a big deep cut. But again, this is something you can just... Uh, let's look up a species that has this magic teleport technology. There's probably one in Star Trek. Oh, yeah, what's name drop them? Yeah, you you can put in Easter eggs without having watched the show, but you can also... Like, you can do it if you have watched the show, but it's easier. Whereas if you've actually watched everything, or just watched most of it, like you, it's hard to contradict things like inner light or multifaceted Romulans. It's 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 quite core to Star Trek that these things happen to these characters. They're profound moments. Inner light is one of the few episodes that actually gets referenced in future episodes of TNG, where they treat everything like Se- a bottle. Several usually. times. Several times. And they just forget about it. But apparently, they watched all of Trek Hill and they get Trek. You remember that episode where Picard, he falls in love with the new science officer or whatever it was, yes, and they play and music they play together? Yeah. Great episode. But these people apparently watched all of Trek, but not enough of all of Trek to include these things that is part of the same character. You don't need to well, watch this is, all of it's Trek. It's the whole thing, too, where there's this stupid thing where Picard loves Data, and I, it's framed really weird, but I assume they meant it to be father and son love and not romantic love I'm, I'm hoping that's what they meant I took it as more of a they do it kind of comedically but I'm, I took it more of like a Patrick Stewart Ian McKellen type of love but the, but in like a more serious way as opposed to them that kind of do it quite comically though I assume their love is quite genuine you, like friendship love yeah now, and if you watch TNG that is not their relationship in any way I think when he talks about in that scene about how oh, because you love me, it does make me cringe, and I do think about all the scenes in the show. But I'm lenient. This is what we talked about the Star Racism conflicted. I'm slightly more lenient because the end of TNG where he sits down at the poker table and he says, "I should have done this a long time ago." I assume that's the start of something, 
And then over the next few years on the Enterprise E, their brief time still remaining on the D, I think their friendship, his friendship with all of them probably did blossom quite a lot. And I know people talk about how the movies aren't that great either at portraying Picard and some people wish the TNG movies were never made. But I, I'm of the, the school of thought that the movies aren't the worst thing ever. And him kind of being more friendly with the, at least the senior staff and being on the boat at the start of Generations where they're giving Worf the promotion. I think it is the start of something that happened in All Good Things and a natural evolution. Him, again, them sitting saying, do you love me, Captain? Makes me kind of cringe a little bit. It's just, it's weird. But I do think they probably did become closer in taking scenes from earlier in TNG where their relationship hasn't developed that much is a bit unfair in my opinion. I don't know, man. If you're the if you're of the school of thought that the TNG films are trash and there's not much I can do for you, but if you do accept the films, I don't think you do actually. I don't. Then, I don't like the TNG films. Right, you don't like the TNG films. Then I, I because I do. That's just where we part ways on that. But I think that if you do agree with the films, then you've kind of got to be more lenient on Picard being more kind of friendly with people, at least with the senior staff, not with random people necessarily. Which is why him being like you know fine with certain other random people. I'm kind of like, how long have you known these people? I, I will be willing to accept that he's become more friendly with the crew. His friendship with Riker in this show, for example, is very different than it was in the show. Yes. It's a lot more pure than it was, because in the show he's always, I'm Captain Picard and I'm in charge and he doesn't get close. He's not Janeway. Janeway gets close with the crew. Yes, uh-huh. Janeway went to parties and had cake with everyone. Even Cisco was somewhat distant, though apparently he played baseball with them all at least once before they'd done that holodeck baseball game. Sure, but he, he was more in charge. It was Janeway was the captain that was most friendly with her crew because they were stuck together and she made an active decision to get more I would I would involved. I would say Archer was the most friendly personally. <laughs> but uh, different maybe. times. Or maybe Kirk. Kirk was pretty friendly with the crew. <laughs> but too friendly if you follow the stereotypes. Oh my. But still, Picard, even if he's more friendly, it, that doesn't translate to love. This use of love in the show is very weird. There's also that scene where Raffi tells Picard that she loves him, and it's so awkward. It is. Because I'm like, you, haven't, you hated this person two days ago, and he hasn't seen you for 15 years, and you love him? It's so bizarre. But again, see what you say about how the the writers of this show have spent months and months with these people and they know them inside and out and they're forgetting that the audience don't. I think you've actually hit on something quite properly there. We don't know these people. We've spent precisely eight weeks with these people, but really only eight hours with these people and they're saying they love each other seven episodes in. This what? is like this Imagine is seven like... episodes imagine seven episodes into the next generation. I love you I love you, Picard. <laughs> He gets, the person would get told to get off my bridge. It's, it's ridiculous. They don't. They they're work colleagues for basically the first season of TNG. When did they start doing the poker games? It's not season one, is it? I think they definitely got the turtlenecks. Yeah. So oh, Pulaski was there. Pla- season two. Pulaski so was the there. So it was season two when they started doing poker games. Season one, they're just work friends, and that's about it. Though apparently Tasha was close to them all because they went to her funeral. Oh, sure. But there, you know, there is individual friendships that form, like Data and Geordi start becoming friends 
Worf and Tasha Riker Yar and are kind of friends. Riker and Riker and Troy have a pre-existing relationship. There's different yes. dynamics that are already beginning to form that will become more so over seven seasons. Yes, like Beverly and Picard. And this show, Agnes and Rios have sex once, so they're in love now. And she killed someone, but let's not talk about that. That's just... that's This is less of a problem with Star Trek and just general TV these days of just being so rushed. Everything is so... We can't have full seasons anymore. Yeah, I was on Disney Plus earlier, and this is this is related, don't worry, you might be wondering where this is going to go. I was on Disney Plus earlier, and I happened to look through and see what Marvel TV shows they have, like Runaways and stuff, because I haven't watched it. And as much as I've yielded the fact that this isn't connected, that these shows aren't MCU anymore, they're not even under the MCU category on Disney Plus, I saw Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was there. And I know I've watched it all, but we've spoke about this before. There's certain shows you watch, like The Clone Wars and stuff, where you know you've seen every episode, but you just forget mass swaths of it. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at S.H.I.E.L.D. and I was like, how many episodes are on this? And each season has like near 20 episodes. Yeah, it's and a show. Yeah, but when you're scrolling through episodes on Disney Plus, usually because the seasons are short for most modern shows, usually you go eight episodes and then the scroll stops because there's nothing else to see. Mm-hmm. But when I was on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. scroll bar, it just kept going. There's so many episodes. And I and think that's, that's why you know the characters of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. so well. You've had yeah. so much time with them. Again, I, apparently I forget vast swaths of it, but. Like, you want to talk about a good romance, you go to Fitzsimmons. They didn't get together for, like, four seasons. Yeah, I know Fitz always fancied her, but... Sure, but it's it's well built up. Yeah, there's development spent there. You care about the characters. Also, it's a Scottish actor doing a Scottish job. It doesn't matter that he's an engineer. At least he's Scottish. Yeah, I had had to touch on it. Like, there was... I tell you what... The episode where Rafi is running around the ship speaking to all the holograms. I liked that. Kind of... That was fun. I liked that. That was fun. That could have been a whole A plot. It could have been a whole episode. Yeah, but I mean, you know how like the episodes usually have A plot, B plot? Sure. Like um, Nog and Jake trying to get the baseball card and then there was a B plot going on. Well, that sounds like Star Trek. Wow. Yeah, uh, that could have been an entire A plot or B plot with her running around doing that and people, other people progressing the main overarching story of fighting the Tal Shiar or whatever. Sure. But it didn't feel like that to me. It was like a C plot almost. You no, can have that, C plots if there's a lot of things juggling, that but episode, I the episode was bad. The episode was so meandering. We're talking about broken pieces, and that's the episode where they walk around the ship and, and talk to people a lot. Yeah, it was like, uh, you, I should go, Shepard. I've got some recalibrating to do. <laughs> Are we gonna? We, we've hinted at the Mass Effect. Most people who've watched the show who don't like it know the Mass Effect stuff, and I can't believe you didn't notice it until I pointed it out to you. But the show is Mass Effect. I like Mass Effect, but you like Mass Effect to a degree a lot more intense than I do. Like, I struggle to play Mass Effect 1 even in my first playthrough. I enjoy Mass Effect 2. I enjoy Mass Effect 3 even. But there's just there's so much there, it's a lot to take in. And I, 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 I even like Andromeda. I'm passionate about the franchise to a point where I'm a casual fan. But you really click. And I think I would have got the Mass Effect parallel by the time the, the, the Reapers show up. The, the Reapers <laughs> show up. But they look like worms with clamps. They look like the tentacles of the big ball droid from The Incredibles. 
You know, I was actually Club. thinking, um, you fought the giant worm things in Andromeda, right? Yeah, I have. And they, they look like those. To orbit. Yeah. Shit, so they're not even ripping off Mass Effect <laughs> Trilogy, they're ripping off Andromeda. <laughs> Which is the one in my mind that's the most Star Trek-y. Sure, but, it is. It's very Voyager. But it's still... It's still a Mass Effect game that's touching into Star Trek. This is... It's the same Mass- plot as Mass Effect 1. They find, they find the Reaper, the, the warning signal... Who's who's uh, what's what's the name of the the bad guy in Mass Effect One? Uh, Saren. Who's Saren and Picard? I guess Soji is Saren. Soji is Saren. She wants the called Reapers to Just, wipe out yeah. the humanity. Fair, and she's an uh, organic android, and he was an organic Reaper essentially. Well, he was a cyborg, so yeah. Even when they're coming through the portal and they're making like these evil robot noises, like these are just Reaper noises. I'm happy they never linked it through to Control. I so am I. Honestly, if Control had shown up, and oh god, that would have been a whole other thing. Why does why does modern Trek love evil robots so much? I think the the, the executives up top, who we won't name because we've named enough. I think the. They just like these things. I think they like the idea of it. I guess if if you want to explore things that Star Trek hasn't explored, Star Trek hasn't gone that in depth with the evil AI stuff. They've had occasional one-off episodes like Nomad yes, well, and TOS. Yeah. Or hologram malfunctions and they want to blow up sure. missiles. You've had the occasional episodes, but they haven't explored the Terminator Doomsday plot. So that's something that they can do. But they're just bad at it. I'm sorry. They are just bad at it. I who who could write this show? And I'm I don't want to go for the joke. Us. Who do you think they could conceivably hire that could make a good serialized Star Trek show? I don't know about that much stuff. It would. The best thing you could do would be to just hire someone new who has new ideas, but someone who isn't Alex Kurtzman. Because everything's really... It feels quite committee-ish. Like there's too many cooks in the kitchen. There's Oh, sure. No... This the, it's the 16 producers in the opening oh, credits. Yeah. All right, so I've heard people talk about the amount of producers in the show. Um, and, you know, I've, I've, I've kind of seen it in the intro sequence, but I usually skip the intros after the first episode. And then I, th- I was sitting with a friend one night and we were watching it. And as a joke... I wanted them to count how many producer names come up because I was trying to make a point about this show has problems and it was just a side problem. It's not my main problem. Sure. But I said, count the producers for me. And I hadn't actually counted that episode's title screen yet because I skipped it. They didn't want to skip it, so we didn't skip it, but I would always have skipped it. And I just kind of, without having pre-watched it to prove it, I just said, count the producers because I can guarantee there'll be a lot. And I counted along as well. And even I didn't know how many number the number was going to get to, because I hadn't. I had skipped it, and sure. I was shocked. Yeah, I was laughing too. I was like, "This is this is bewildering. This is amazing. Look how it's many crazy. producers run this show." And I, I feel like it's all market research the outcome. Like we need shows that people will, people won't really question and can passively watch, but it will people will say it's brilliant. You just need someone in charge who 
understands the vision of Star Trek, because I don't think Alex Kurtzman understands the vision of Star Trek. I'm talking about Gene Wanberry's original hopeful vision of the future, right? Yes. You know, he, he was a man, he had his dreams, and he envisioned a future where everyone could be nice and happy. And Rick Berman, he said he didn't really agree with it, but at least he understood it, and he made the show in a way that he understood that vision, right? Yes. Alex Kurtzman has dollar signs in his eyes, and that's all his vision sees. He, he wants to make something that's profitable, even if it's not quality. So what's that? what that means that Star Trek has become modern action show? And that's never what Star Trek was. Here's the little nuggets that confuse me, though, when I, I bring up that critique, though, because I'm not going to pretend I have all the answers here. Criti- people that will try and put down my critiques will mention, and they did mention as I showed you, well, the final space battle was averted in typical Trekian fashion by quoting treaties and, you know, look at this and stand down and retreat. And in the show, that did happen. It did. But why is it so ridiculous in our minds? Because... on On paper, that is Trekian. But why in execution did it come across so... And it's literally what happened. The fight was averted. Right. No uh, stupid orchid space battle happened beforehand. But why did it feel so weird? Because Commander Riker, sorry, Captain Riker is talking about how much he'd love to blow this woman up while he's doing it. True. And Seven of Nine is having a kick fight with, with evil Romulan sister. I also should just say, I, I mentioned it earlier, but I really want to hit home on it. The space battles are shot bad. They're not, they're not, this isn't a plot critique, this is just a, a creative critique. It is shot poorly. Like when you watch Deep Space Nine, yes, fine, it's not an HD. The, the, the space battles are interesting and you can kind of watch it and look around and see, oh, what's happening over here? When I've watched the DS9 space battles so many times and every once in a while, not all the time, but every once in a while you catch something new. Like, when I watched uh, when the, the Defiance ramming through the lines when they're trying to go and retake Deep Space Nine, it's the only ship that makes it. I didn't really notice the other two rom- uh, Klingon birds of prey flanking them are slowly destroyed as the Dominion ship explodes next to it, but you pick it up over time. Or you see a galaxy class down here fighting a Cardassian ship. Sure. Or you see a Romulan ship being swarmed by Jem'Hadar. It's little things that you pick up and the, like, the camera almost feels like it's stationary and all the ships are flying past the camera. And again, it's a very diverse fleet of Romulan Klingon Federation ships, but different Romulan there's Klingon just, Federation ships. There's so much love putting it put into those sequences. Yes, oh, it's it's it feels like it's a world. In this show, all the ships are identical, more or less. They all and stand it, on one side of the battlefield and fire millions of lasers at the other yes. side of the battlefield. And even though Discovery may technically do it better with more diversity in terms of its ship aesthetics, everything doesn't look as well. The, the way the camera falls through everything, its I, every time I watch those battles, I feel like I'm going to have nothing else to ever rediscover. They're really forgettable fights. The, the Dominion fleet battles in, in DS9... Well, there's, there's another element to this too, which is... The fights in Discovery, and even more so in this show, they just have no weight behind them. You know, you talk about that fight in, in DS9, when they're going to retake uh, DS9. 
There's yeah. so much emotion and weight behind that battle because they're trying to get their home back. They're fighting against the Dominion. There's a they're whole trying bunch to stop of... them from opening the wormhole that's going right. to let it through a fleet. There is so much drama and stuff going on in there. And, and it was a serialized story. Right. And then you compare it to the fight in episode four where Rios is fighting some random guy over that planet. Oh, and, and it's, why is this even happening? Why is this guy fighting Rios? Why does Seven of Nine show up out of nowhere? There's nothing to it. It's just a fight for the sake of a fight. And a ship that would be better suited to exist in Discovery. A ship that's 200 years old. <laughs> it must have been retrofitted. It's, it's an antique. They say it's an antique. It's an antique. But... Like in in like Voyager and stuff, you can approach a ship and they will open fire on you because you're a stranger or something. You hail them, then you take out their weapons, then you put them in the tractor beam and it's resolved. Sure. Most of that is also done off camera or with a simple one camera shot of Voyager slowly chasing a ship or, or a and shot shooting of a phaser. Bridge shaking and everyone like yeah. we've been hit. Stuff now, like they this. do they do bridge shakes in Picard. But then they also spend 30 seconds of ships flying around like fighter craft. Like, I know the sh- the last Serena is supposed to be like a Normandy Mass Effect ship with like yeah. two flight decks. Sure. Um, It doesn't but... look like a Star Trek sh- ship at all. This is a minor thing. And mm-hmm. it, it's not that big of a critique because whatever ship designs. But it looks like a Star Wars ship. Yeah, I, I, I really see after the Normandy thing clicked, I think it really does look a lot like the Normandy. Um, and. It's not nearly as pretty as the Normandy. No, no, it's not nearly as pretty. It's not. I actually don't like the red and the red shit with the white stripes. I think it looks like a bad rap in a video game, like Destiny or something. It actually, looks quite a lot like a Destiny ship as it well. It does look a lot like a Destiny ship. Yeah, right. The last Serena, and I know it's supposed to be a Normandy esque ship. They all and uh, Narek's ship and Seven of Nine's ship, less so the Romulan antique ship. But they all act like fighter craft. Yes. The shuttles even act like fighter craft. I get in DS9, the runabouts and stuff, kind of, they were standing for fighters, but they never acted like fighters. They were still very bulky to when they moved around. The Maquis fighters were more akin to that. You're saying this as opposed to Star Trek, where the ships were more like big naval frigates. Yeah, so like the Maquis fighters were fighter-ish and the runabouts tried to contend with them, but they were really no match, really. They were kind of blunderous and they kind of it took them a while to turn. I know Nog done some stuff in the holodeck, we've done some tight manoeuvres, but that's not how that was that was never their plot purpose. They were supposed to just be short range transport craft for Starfleet. Sure. And there's that there's that great scene when they're f- the, the Dominion War is first starting or not starting, but they go they go through the wormhole with yeah, the galaxy class sh- and the two runabouts. Yeah, and they're just completely outmatched. The two runabouts Com- completely outmatched, and then when the Dominion come through the wormhole, before De- just as Decap betrays them, they take the three r- runabouts out to stand off as well. Those people had to know that was going they were going to die. You know yeah. the the people crowing the runabouts. Um, but like in this show, I think even the Romulan fleet at the end launched fighter craft, and they look—I think they looked a lot like shuttle. Yeah. And it was like, thank God Starfleet ships didn't. But what is it with this show and feeling like they need to do fast-paced barrel roll? Because that's what modern action shows look like. Do you think this is Star Wars? Do you think they can launch Tie Fighters and X-wings? 
this is it's, it's Star Trek. It's Modern a show. Star Trek doesn't have the identity of Star Trek that sets it apart from other sci-fi shows. You could turn on any other sci-fi show and you'd get the same experience. The whole the whole fun of Star Trek was it was a different sci-fi show. It wasn't an action show. It was a cerebral show for the most part. They had episodes all about space politics or episodes about philosophy and things Remember like that. Remember the episode with the guy who was telepathic but didn't have a voice and he had minders to help him and they yeah. died and they had to use sign language to solve they had a to diplomatic teach, They had issue. to teach the two races sign language. Or do you remember what? the episode? What an episode! To, you do remember the episode where they go to a planet and you have to kill yourself and you turn 40 years old because of overpopulation. What an episode! When Luxana falls in love. Yes. They deal with the they deal with the kind of issues of voluntary death and mandatory death. This, I I, I think. In this episode, we deal with revenge and how awesome revenge is, Nathan. Like I say, Discovery. I said this in the first episode we talked about Picard. Discovery doesn't really have anything to say. I think it says it has some vague things to say, but I don't think you can see it on screen. Picard. They say that it's got something to say, and I even think on camera you can see that they think they've got something to say. Sure. But I don't think they're coherent with it. And I don't they, think... They're trying to say something, they just don't know what they're trying to say. I think they, I think they even know what they're trying to say, I just don't think they know how to say it. They, they keep tr- trying to drive an idea, and they kind of don't know how to word it. Or they don't know how to produce it. The modern parallels thing, right? They're, they throw so much in... And they don't know which one to focus on. You've got immigration stuff. You've got racism stuff. You've got issues of free will. Not free will. You've got issues of sentience, of androids, which is more of a sci-fi issue. Then you've got drug addiction and stuff like that with Rafi. Then you've got suicide and stuff like that with Seven of Nine. They just don't know. You need to focus on one of these issues and hone in on it if you want to say something about yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's a hodge, but everyone wants to have their say because we, we don't know if we're going to get season two, so we need to cram it all in. Just go with it. And now they're saying, or Michael Chabon said, so it doesn't really matter anymore. He said that they're going to stick with a plan for season two. You're not the showrunner in season two, Michael. They could throw all that out. Now, I, I kind of respect the idea of sticking to your guns. Like, that makes me think they've got a plan. But do they have a plan? They reshot half of season one, apparently. That might be type. That might Watching be this show, but... it's unbelievable to me that they had a plan. It feels so hodgepodge. It's it is ludicrous. And Pete and and flabbergasted people like this show. If anyone listens to this, and I I hope that you do, and I hope you're still with us this far in. If you like this show, I hope we've not been insulting to you, and we've just been insulting to the show. Tell us what you like about it, because tell us what you like about it that doesn't contradict the facts that we've said. It's one of the pet peeves of mine is uh, when criticism flares towards critiquing the people who like it. I wish I could like this show. I really do. It would be. I would love to have a Star Trek show that I could enjoy in this time of great strife and struggle. Yes, but when I critique this show and demand better, I'm not asking for a purge of the people who enjoy it. If you enjoy this Trek and you enjoy old Trek, then you're not losing anything by giving me good trick that I can also enjoy, because you're apparently not fussy and you're going to enjoy it regardless. I'm just advocating for better writing quality. You're not missing out on anything because you'll like it anyway. And then I get to be on board as well. I'm just curious, because these people, they say that they like this show and it's a continuation of old Trek. And I'm just curious in the comments if anyone actually watched it. 
if you like this show, what do you like about Old Trek? I'm genuinely curious. Because I what th- I like about Old Trek is how philosophical it is and how it, it, it tackles deep issues and things like this. And generally just how nice it makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Old but I, th- I think we're gonna get, we're gonna get caught in a logic loop there with the what do you like about it because they'll say they'll say I like the the issues that the shows deal with as well and they'll say this show does deal with issues, but that's no accounting for the quality of how those issues are dealt with. Just because they pay lip service to something doesn't mean they deserve credit for dealing with the issue badly. Well, that's the other thing is. And I think it was it was an old Discovery review they said this on. PNG is is a world you'd want to live in, right? Yeah. You'd you'd want to be on the Enterprise and and, the, and have your friends and your crew and replicators and everything's nice and it's a really hopeful vision of the future. And then you go to Discovery and you go to Picard and it's just war and revenge and depression and and wealth disparities back and drug addictions back and all that is also directly contradicting things that have been said in TNG. I think you know? I think drunkenness and drug addictions because you know people are addicted to Beatles snuff. Tom Paris was a bit of a drunk. I can defend all these things existing, but Earth as a whole is definitely supposed to be more optimistic. The wealth disparity thing is completely out of nowhere because we know and they make great issue with it in DS9 and Voyager and TNG, Earth is a paradise when they go there during the, the Homefront arc where they think changelings have infiltrated Earth, mm-hmm. or with the Maquis, they talk about out the Maquis out in the frontier, it's a hellhole, it's quite dangerous for those people, they get why they're being terrorists even if they don't agree with it but they talk about how comfortable Earth is and how those cushy people, Star Trek was dealing with an issue they were talking about people that live in cushy, wealthy affluent planets that don't want or need for anything are making treaties and issues for people they're never ever going to meet or ever going to be in their shoes and Earth, that was the point, Earth was a paradise and now you're seeing people that live in a shack out in the rocks where they filmed the Gorn episode and she's yeah. jealous of someone who lives in a wealthy French vineyard, but I thought there was not supposed to be wealth dis- oh. and also they constantly replicate real alcohol even though that's not how it works that's, that's just a nitpick though Rios can choose. You know, when we reviewed Doctor Who, right, we went through it episode by episode because you yeah. can do that because it's an episodic show. Yeah. This show, because it's serialised, not serialised, because it's one story, I'm, I'm finding it really hard to do that, to try and do it linearly because well, it's, it's my thoughts are just all over the place. It's, yeah. It's absolutely, absolutely impossible. Because you're talking about Rios and that just reminded me of the holograms. Yeah. And how the show does a terrible job of differentiating holograms from androids and synthetic life. It just doesn't. It just they're why are they different? Why did they why are the holograms not banned? Could you explain that to me? Holograms have pre programming in them. Like they they're limited, like a holodeck character like can't understand that they're a holodeck character. See, you've explained that more than the show does. Um, yeah, I know, I'm just... The holograms on Riosi's ship are just part of the crew. They know they're holograms. Yes, like like Vic Fontaine. Right. They've got they've got the navigation one and the, the fake Scottish one and the Russian one, and they all know they're holograms and they all 
and Irish part of the crew, yeah. and they all have personalities. And why aren't these people, these holograms, banned? Because they're, uh, you know, what I bet if they were to ever revisit this, they would see oh, they were banned, and Rios is just a rebel. <laughs> no, because that's they have why the hologram Robert, in the archive in the first episodes. That's a pre. That's like a holodeck one. That's that's like it's like it's it's limited. It's like a more like a virtual intelligence and not an artificial intelligence. That you can be used for rudimentary, looking through the archives, but it can't ask you. What you're, you know, it can't genuine, generally create a rapport with you because you know it was quite cybery. But screw it! I'm just gonna quick fire random issues. Right. right. We never see Commodore all get her comeuppance for being a spy. She just leaves. So I've heard that criticism as well. I'm going to say they probably weren't in a position to do much about it. Remember that Vulcan ambassador in TNG that turned out to be a Romulan spy? And they saw her on the bridge after thinking she was dead as a Romulan commander and they just kind of couldn't do anything? I don't remember that, actually. Right, there was an episode of TNG where they have this Romulan ambassador, they have this Vulcan ambassador and apparently she's going to Romulus to try and negotiate a peace talk or something, and they meet a Romulan warbird in the neutral zone, and apparently she dies in a transporter accident or something, or food poisoning that might be an assassinate. We're not sure. And they think she's dead, and then they start to kind of investigate it, and they hail the Romulan ship, and she's there on the Romulan ship, not dead, and in Romulan attire. It turns out she's been a Romulan spy for 20 or 30 years, and she's just got away with lots and lots of valuable information. And the TNG crew hate it. But there's nothing they can really do about it because there's two Romulan warbirds outside. You know, and they have to just let her go. And that's the end of the episode, I think, roughly. But they don't get her back. And I can see that being similar. However, this has done worse, and I'll tell you why. In that episode, they're outmanned and outgunned. Mm-hmm. And Picard, apparently... They're with the roughest, toughest ship Starfleet's ever put into service, and there's 200 of them, and O runs away because she can't take them. So apparently Riker could take them and get her back. Uh, Unlike in TNG, every- where they couldn't. Another quick fire. Every single thing to do with evil Romulan sister. She's absolutely the worst character. In- uh, maybe Commodore O is worse, but she's terrible as a villain. Romulan and just as a character. Worse. Romulan sister's worse. So, when we first meet her, she's in disguise at Starfleet. For no reason. That's never for, a part for no of the reason. show. She could have, O could have just hologrammed her, yep. you know, been exhaled. Could have just her. called her, could have just to take on, on the comm badge and talk to her. Yeah. She kills off all of the Borg drones by shooting them into space. Why a Borg cube has an airlock quite like that, it looks <laughs> to me like it takes up an entire side of the ship, I don't know. Several, several sides of the ship because she blasts out every single inactive like Borg drone. An entire edge of the ship opens up. It's like the like thousands of thousands of Borg drones shoot out of that ship. And, and then seven of, nine, space. seven of Nine screams, No! In a Borg and voice. She, and then she kills two Romulan guards. And that's all she does when she plugs into the Borg cube. And when Evil Sister runs away, she stays on the cube and this does, she doesn't do anything for three hours until oh, the also, finds her. Tra- she has a magic transporter that transports her away whenever she's in danger. It's She just does. It's I, I don't know what they th- were thinking. It's the same with the people transporting away in the nightclub. 
I pointed yeah. this out in my video with a little text bubble. This show doesn't understand how transporters work. People just, like, think to transport away and they're transported away. That doesn't make any sense. Maybe it's a safety feature of the nightclub where it transports people away if a shooter comes in. Okay, but she gets several times. Elmore throws a knife at her and she transports away. There's another scene where she transports away when all the rom- when all the XBs are are like rugby tackling her. I she should know. I think away. I think I agree with you. Stupid. I'm just trying to. How would someone defend this? And secondly, all the Romulans are evacuating this now functioning Borg cube, which is in Romulan space, and they're just leaving it be. With an enemy of Romulus on it. They're just leaving it there. Well, the crashed one on the android planet at the end? No. When Seven of Nine is taking over the Borg cube and all the Romulans are getting on their fleet to go and find Picard, they just leave an active Borg cube. Oh, right. In Romulan space. Yes. Now, thank God it works out well for them, but that was a terrible and dumb idea. Yes, that cube could have easily turned around. And started wiping out Romulan colonies. Yeah, like it did in season two of T or the end of season one of TNG or season two of TNG when the Romulans show up and the Borg cubes can do. And you know what I think? I think they would completely devalue a Borg cube because I just think that if they were the to Borg fight, the Borg cube was it, taken down by giant flowers, Nathan. <laughs> They've yeah. already devalued the Borg cube. <laughs> You're right. You're so right. And why did it... Because the androids made it, Kyle. That's why it's so powerful. The, why did we've the barely andro- spoke. We've barely spoke about the android planet. I should not. Oh, I know. Brent Spiner shows on it. And I never... I don't know what it is, but I never see him as a character. I always just see him as Brent Spiner. So do I. So do I. I'm so weird. I see Data as Data, but I see everyone else just as Brent Spiner. Even when he showed up in Enterprises... Okay, sure, he's playing a character. In this show specifically, all I saw was Brent Spiner. I don't know what it was. No, I get it. I it's get just it. a character they pulled out of nowhere. I do think it's strange that, see, when they're unplugging data's, like, data chips and he's slowly aging and dying and Picard's making a speech and mm-hmm. talk about how it's the end of data, but Brent Spiner's standing right next to him. Yeah. It was, like, I, I can I can intellectually connect that isn't data, that's the actor who plays data playing another character, but it's just so surreal. Everything to do with uh, Golden Soji was garbage awful. Would you agree with yeah. that? Yeah. So she's introduced and she's studied Vulcans and so she can she learned how to do a mind meld and people have defended this scene by saying things like well first off they pointed out that Spock did a mind meld with V'ger or with Nomad, but, right? But it's still the Vulcan doing the meld. Okay, so second defense is you could theoretically program an android or install hardware that would let them do a mind meld. And I agree with that. But that's not what the show says. The show says she learned it. (sighs) God. That implies humans can learn it. Romulans. Klingons can do a mind Mm -hmm. meld. Sure. You can just learn how to do it. It's ridiculous. Okay, so second, her plan was, so she let, she stabs her own sister in the eye, because eye fetish, and lets Narek escape, even though she could have just, like, pretended to let him escape and then killed him, so that he wouldn't interfere with her plans. Yes. So, 
And she also leaves the body there, knowing full well that Brent Spiner could probably get the memory out of it. The Sandroid is an idiot, is what I'm saying. So she learns she learns about the Reapers through the main meld, right? Yeah. And immediately decides, cool, let's genocide everyone. And let's she build convinces the she convinces all the androids that this is a good idea. And then Brent Spiner discovers that she's the one who stabbed the sister. So he takes her aside and deactivates her and doesn't tell any of the other androids that she was manipulating them. Can I note for a second, see when they'll show up to try and stop Soji from building the beacon or something? And like they're punching androids left and right? They're androids. They're androids. They should be fine. (laughs) Remember when when Worf punched Data? (laughs) And broke his hand? Well, (laughs) what I would like to say about that is it's also just, again... This show is that it was quite it, the fight scenes in this show are really poorly shot, including the space ones, because they knock out those androids. They shouldn't be able to do it, but they've done it. And the androids standing around don't seem to notice. <laughs> it's like an Assassin's Creed where you stab a guard from a hay bale, and the guy turns around and doesn't know what happened. Look, the androids—they're all childlike and silly. They don't understand it's, what's it's happening. So, Kyle, I don't. I think we need to rewatch the show. I don't think we understand it ourselves. We understood it ourselves. Well, we just didn't get it, Nathan. We just didn't get it. And also, I joked to you, and I—I I, I seriously joked to you that we're going to turn Picard into an android. Yeah, I—I was a funny joke. It was a funny bit, and they done it. <laughs> They turned. As Admiral. soon as I saw Picard die, and I was, they haven't addressed that android body yet. It's, it's happening, Nathan. You called it. It was. You were right. And I joked to you about how it would be like an X Men: The Last Stand, where they put mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart. Oh yeah. Also, Patrick Stewart. They put his mind into his twin brother or something. It's the same scene. It's oh god. Awful. Oh. I think again. They thought this was going to be a limited run. They didn't know they were doing multiple seasons. And then some at some point, Patrick Stewart said he'd be open to doing more. And they added all that on. And so Captain Jean-Luc Picard is dead. And now we have an android copy of Jean-Luc Picard. I'm willing to be more lenient than you on that. Like with the data positron, you say it's a copy of him. Fine, technically, yes. But... It, it, it is! Data died in Star Trek Nemesis. He got blown up. Yes, but this is everything about him. Let's like, out and talk about, like, is your body really you or are you just your brain? This show seems to be taking the attitude of you're just your brain and your body is immaterial. You could cut off an arm and replace it. Your body is just a hey, me- an, an organic mech suit. Here's where I'm going with it. Have you heard of a game called Soma? No. Okay, it's a horror... It's a sort of horror game, and it tackles a lot of this stuff about consciousness. So there's points in the game where you get transferred to a new body, but it's not it's not cut and paste, it's copy-paste, so the original one is still there. All and right. it's kind of weird like this, but you're transferred to the new consciousness, but you can go and see the old body and it's talking to you like, what's going on? Did it not work? And that's how I feel about this thing with Data. This isn't original data, this is a copy of data. And this isn't real Picard, this is a copy of Picard's brain. 
This is delving dangerously close to the trouble of transporters. Classic yes. CGP Grey video. Uh-huh. And, and maybe it's a bit hypocritical, but I am willing to accept that something about a transporter is transferring consciousness. So maybe I should be willing to accept this. But it says, he says that they took a scan. Also, we should know that this poses. This positron that they got out from B4 to keep it on data for a second, it was part of the transfer data done. So in that moment between data dying and him transferring that positron, or vice versa, there would have been two datas in existence then. The one in B4 and the one walking around. Yes. So which one is the real one? Or did he just duplicate himself? He said, in the movie, he said he was making backup copies, right? Yeah. So it's a copy. But like I say, this show seems to be taking the point of view of your brain is you and your body is just a flesh mech suit. Like you said, is what is the moral? Way the back at the start of this video, video they podcast, seemed, whatever. They seemed so intent on making sure that aromatic syndrome, that they never called aromatic syndrome, was part of this plot. I don't know why. They didn't need to kill him. I'm no. I, this is why I think that they thought this was a limited series and he would die at the end and Patrick Stewart agreed to come back. They never referred to aromotic syndrome as aromotic syndrome, yet it was still his brain condition that killed him. Now, like it, it would have been they a better self for a show if he died and then all these new characters, they go off and have a show of their own. Now, I think that possibly they just kind of thought they were pleasing fans. Now, in All Good Things, I think Picard mentions to Dr. Crusher that these things don't necessarily have to manifest, or maybe Crusher mentions it. And Sure, this happens all the time with time travel and Star Trek. You, you can live a normal life and it never manifests, but Picard seems pretty certain that it's going to happen. Now, the makers of the show also apparently share that thought that it was going to happen. See if they just never mentioned his brain condition and it was a thing from all good things that was never brought up again. I think I would have been fine with it. Or maybe it shows up because he's 94 years old and people can live to 150 million years in this show now, according to Mm -hmm. Dr. McCoy from Counter at Farpoint. He's only 94. That's still a young man. He can still have another 50 years left. Maybe it doesn't show up until he's 120. Still, Bones he's... was still working as an admiral at 150 uh, years old. Yeah, 137 years according to Starfleet records. He was still an active admiral. Picard could get his brain condition and he's 120s. He's only 94. The show didn't need to deal with it. He could have got it later in life. After this show has ended. The show didn't need to deal with his brain condition, yet it insisted. Oh, God. They never... And other things is they never mentioned lore or lol, not once, not even as a passing remark. And I was shocked. Is this another case where they didn't want to pay the creators? I sort of think that 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 Dr. Sung's son probably just should have been lore. And I don't mean it was lore pretending to be an organic son. I mean it just literally should have been lore. Like, had... Lore has changed his ways or something like that? Well, not even that. He was still supporting, essentially, android supremacy. They could have tweaked it. It didn't need to be the same script. They could have made it more Lore-ish. I'm not saying he had to be evil. Maybe he would be trying to com- convince Picard instead of trying to stop Picard. Um, to be like, listen, the androids are great. And Hugh was even in the season, so to say that maybe Hugh had lost oh, Lore God, somehow... We haven't even talked about Hugh yet. To, to, say that, to say that Hugh lost Lore or something after the arc where they're both in it together 
That would that would be great. Maybe Hugh didn't need to die and Hugh and Lore could have had a let's, let's be real here. Regardless of anything, Hugh didn't need to die. No, Hugh didn't need to die absolutely at all. It was completely pointless. It was just to create dramatic tension for Eleanor, I guess, to hug and then And then in interviews afterwards, they're playing it off as if this was a great character arc ending for Hugh to be stabbed, to be throwing knife stabs in I someone else's fight that, while he was cowering in a corner. I think the actors are playing nice for Hollywood. Like, you know how sometimes actors have got to defend things they know they've been in the schlock? Because sure. They're on the marketing circuit for it, and then years later they talk about how it really wasn't the greatest thing. Yeah, like uh, uh, Jonathan Frakes and Rena Sirtis on Enterprise. Yes, they do that. Or um, Chris Hemsworth spoke about how Thor The Dark World wasn't the greatest movie. Now, occasionally you get actors that are like, they're past it and they don't give a shit and they talk about how they never want to be associated with something again. Like, like Linda at the Ham- end of Star Wars. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I was more thinking of Linda Hamilton where she, um, Terminator Dark Fate was only just about to come out in DVD and she mm-hmm. mentioned something about how she would hope to never return to this franchise again for as long as she lives. <laughs> I didn't hear about that. Right, well, the thing was about to come out on home digital media and physical copies, so naturally roundabout DVD release time you're kind of she's already made her off. money she doesn't care anymore she doesn't care anymore but you would not naturally you would want your cast to be saying nice things so people will buy the film and home release you think that's what poor Jonathan Del Arco is doing I think these actors because these people Jonathan Del Arco and Jerry Ryan and likes very nice people I do not think they're bad people they're doing what they're given but I also think they're not mega superstars where they could be a bit of a dick and be fine they probably need to play ball with Hollywood, and I think sure, they need they need jobs. They, I understand they this. Need jobs and they can't shit talk. Projects that's why, that's why I'm not saying anything bad about. I hate Seven of Nine on this show. I hate how it's all handled. I don't have a problem with Jerry Ryan. I think she does it fine. She yeah, does a these, fine job of what she's given. The casting has never been a problem with these shows. No, the cast. Of both this show and Discovery are really... Bar Commodore, oh, I think she's a terrible actor. Everyone else in the show is fine. A common complaint with Star Trek is sometimes it's hard to get good actors to play Vulcans. Sometimes you can just get bad Vulcans. Oh, but she's half Romulan, though. <laughs> See, here's the thing. I thought that was to explain how she could do a mind meld. And then an android does a mind meld. So... Oh, well... Reiterate this again, fans of Picard, tell us why you're fans, and also address the points we make. I've I at least I think I have addressed, and I've done it on social media, and I've done it on this episode today. I have addressed the reasons you support it, and I try to give you credence. I'm not insulting you. I'm insulting the show. Why do you like this show? And address the critiques that we are bringing up. Don't brush them under the rug. Watch my video about revenge in Star Trek. It's a much better constructed than this rambly podcast. Yes, this is us rambling and venting. I've said things I like. I, I, the data thing really got me. The Riker thing really got me. It wasn't earned in either instance, but I felt the emotions. And I kind of think that might be a lot of people with this show. They're not really thinking about the structure of a show. 
they're probably not that fussy as consumers either. That 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 that's slightly insulting, and I I apologize if you are quite picky in this. You do like the show. I apologize for that. That is quite condescending. But I wonder how much people think about the show structure, and if the unearned emotional resonance in that I'm feeling is what other people are feeling as well. But they don't care that it isn't earned. They felt something, so that's good enough. I'm guessing. I can say I felt something, but I'm also going to admit that it isn't earned. I'm guessing people also just feel it more for the other scenes which don't get you. Like the scene of Seven of Nine talking to Elnor about committing suicide. That was probably a really powerful scene. Or it was supposed to be. And if that worked for people, then I would get it. But it's bad. And I don't understand how people could get it. Someone will have a story about how they've struggled with suicide before and they'll say, well, that just really spoke to me. And I don't want to get too grim if it spoke to you, I'm happy you're still here for it to have spoken to you. But, really? <laughs> it was... Look, I've struggled with depression before, right? Yes. It's just... It's just not a good example of it. Portrayal. No. It's one scene, and suicide shows up a surprising amount in this show. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Rios's old captain put a phaser in his mouth, which, uh, that's not how phasers work. Why would you do that? But regardless, <sighs> he he kills himself out of severe guilt, and that's just the thing that happens. And then there's, uh, what happened to that ex-Borg Vulcan, no, Romulan? The crazy uh, lady. The crazy lady who killed the, the Borg kid with sadness. Um, What happened to her? think she died. When? I think evil evil lady visited her in her hospital bed after she went apeshit when she saw Soji and I think she killed her. We never saw that. I think she smothered her with a pillow. I think that happened. I don't remember this at all. I, th- I think she smothered her or she shot her, but like it was like a muffled death. Anyway, she put a phaser to her head. The whole ring of evil witches all smashed their faces in with rocks. All violently killed themselves. Oh god. I had completely forgotten about this scene until right now. It yeah. just popped into my head that there was a scene in Star Trek where a circle of people violently killed themselves. Set phasers to yikes. Am I right? On a planet with eight suns. I've seen so many science articles, science in quotation marks, I've seen so many articles about how that, that system could actually exist. I don't care if it could actually exist. I my critique was never around that had sons, and I think I think it might have been Red Letter Media that brought this up where they talk about oh it's a planet with two red moons, and then it cuts to a clip of data saying there are terror of many planets fitting that description, from TNG, mm-hmm. and I'm like yeah that because that sounds like a fantasy like oh the terror with the red eye that watches over all, like it's Lord of the Rings. But it's also kind of very, it's specific, it's kind of brandy, it's that, they think it's the iconic location that'll send shivers down people's spines. But in Star Trek, where planet features is just supposed to be rather science uh, I just could, remembered too, yeah. in that scene where they find the planet, she's, it's a planet with lots of storms and two red moons. Yeah. It's, it's a bright, sunny desert planet. Where are the storms? It could be a stormy day. Then they should have showed that. I know for continuity to make you immediately recognise. Actually, 
when when they got to that planet, I had forgotten that the reason they got to that planet was because it had two red moons or something and it was stormy. See, if yeah. you put those two things together, they're completely unrelated and I think they're counting on the audience forgetting that for some reason. But why make them separate? Why not make them the same? Was it because when you shot it, it was a sunny day and thought, well, crap. You could have here's changed the flashback. Here's my problem with the eight suns thing, going back to that for a sec, because... Mm-hmm. They they reveal this all because Raffi's figuring out, and apparently she'd heard of the eight, the the Lord of Eight before, and she assumed it was a group. Even though we never knew this, this this is our introduction to this conspiracy theory that she has. Yes, but apparently this is a big revelation for her. Anyway, she says that she's talking to the Scottish engineer, and he says that the chances of that happening naturally are impossible, and so she theorizes, oh, someone must have made it then. So. The robots, right, because we know it's the robots who left that signal there, have the technology to move suns. <laughs> oh, man. And they did this while theoretically being horribly oppressed by organic life. I've got nothing for you. <laughs> that's that's a thing that happened in the show. I've got, no- I've got nothing for you. Like... I don't mind in this show fine cosmic phenomena happens and you've got a system with eight suns and now people try to defend it. Fine, I don't care. I didn't really need people to defend it. It was whatever. But the idea that androids done that or was it some ancient civilization that done it? I can't remember. It was no, it was the it was the Reapers that did it. The Reapers done it. And when did the they Reapers, do it? Reapers, aka the uh, stock footage for fifty dollars. And when did they do it? Uh, thousands of years ago. Right. See, you know what? You know the best way to give your warning to and or not your warning. It was, it it was their signal that was to say, "Hey, if you're an android and you're being oppressed, call 0800 and we'll come run into hell." It's like the fucking Ghostbusters. Yes. <laughs> so that's what it is, and the best way to tell androids that you're out there and ready to help is to move eight suns into this system and leave a ring of electricity. It's not to have a radio frequency or something like that. And even then, why is it Romulans that are using it and not androids? Because Romulans just found it, right? Because how are androids supposed to know that that's where they're supposed to go? It doesn't make yeah. any sense. It doesn't make any sense. If we go to Mass Effect for a second, the, the, the Prothean beacons, right? The warning about the Reapers. Yes. The reason that those were so muddled and non-understandable is because the Protheans, they all communicated through telepathy and they just this was just talking to them. This was just a radio warning and they didn't understand that civilizations afterwards wouldn't use telepathy because that's just what they did. It was obvious. It'd be like if we left a video and the next race didn't have eyes. And it's just obvious to us that they would, but there's no guarantee of that. Right. That that's a really interesting sci-fi explanation, right? Yes. And this show, because it looks cool, I guess to have eight, to have the camera fly through eight suns. Apparently, it's it's cosmic, cosmic in its space and it's Star Trek. Apparently, <laughs> Romulans have used this as their vision of the apocalypse. This is their Ragnarok, right? They say that in the show. Yes. And so Narek is explaining this to them that they're going to destroy everything. Even though by that point in the show, we already know that they're misunderstanding the message. We already know that in the show when he explains this. Right. 
but they believe him anyway, and and they go and stop the androids. What happens to the arc in the show again? Fuck knows. Nothing. He he disappears. He runs away. I thought he was being their chum. He didn't go he was, through at the end. But. He was helping them stop Soji. And then after that scene, we never see him again. Do we not? Nope. Wow. <laughs> he's just, he's on that planet with the androids now, I guess. <laughs> we never even got him to go back to the vineyard to see his housekeepers. Nope. What happened to all those ex-borgs? Oh, seven they're going to start a civilization stay. there, and Seven of Nine just left them to start that seven civilization. Seven of Nine there. was 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 there to help them, and Elnor he said, "It's my job to protect these ex-borgs now. This is a noble cause." But he just left. I don't like the Last Arena, and I think I like the idea of that style of ship, the Normandy ship with the flight deck and only a couple of decks, and the crew is quite small. I get it, but. I want them all in uniform, and I hope that somehow now they're on good terms with Starfleet, they all get reinstated. No, it's not edgy enough to have them in uniform. They have to be in leather jackets. <laughs> okay, they've all got comm badges now. They've got, you know, Picard's little pin? Yeah, it's a little comm pin. Yeah, they're all wearing it. Yeah. Seven of Nine's wearing it, everyone's wearing it. That's that's now going to be their communicator badge of that ship. They think they're like a ragtag... Fenris Rangers, I guess? I guess. I remember, we never met any Fenris Rangers besides Seven. We didn't. We heard a lot about them. We never saw them. (laughs) She's a part of this group because reasons. She had a drink with Rafi. And then they held hands. And they're in love now. I I, I mean, I, I, I I think season two might go into it. Nathan, they're in love now. They've literally never spoken before. They're in love now. <laughs> it just occurred to me they'd never spoken before. <laughs> I think they were in the same scene once or twice. Yeah. They play- they played the game of Vulcan Calto over some beers and they held hands. And they're in love now. Because apparently, secretly, the whole time Rafi was by, I mean, fine, I don't care. But it's not established. They, they, they think it's, it's, again, with the writers, they know these characters in depth. She has a son. She has a son. She thinks she's going to be a grandmother soon. Yeah. Well, her, her son has a Romulan wife, which seems like it would be a sort of a thing of, like, these cultures, they're blending, but they don't go into that at all. It's just a, a minor side detail. And Seven, I guess she's got no one. Apparently Jacote didn't work out. Nope, Jacote didn't work out. She's fallen out with Janeway, who was basically her mother figure. We're, we're, attribut- we're attributing that. We don't know that. We can assume Jacote no, didn't work out because of what we've Chakot- seen visually. Jacote is dead, actually. <laughs> when they got back, they executed, they executed him for they, being they, a no, they, they They ripped his eye out because they wanted his tattoo. <laughs> Remember when Q had a bigger tattoo than Jacote because he was trying to do a dick measuring joke with Janeway? Mm-hmm. You, did you like it? Because mine's bigger. That was that was a fun episode. That was that was a good uh, bit. She she's not friends with Tuvok anymore. She hates Harry Kim. 
She hates Harry Kim. She doesn't call Neelix anymore for their weekly no. game of Cadiscat. She's she's all alone. She might as well just kill herself because she's I'm, an XP and no I'm, one likes XPs. I'm thinking of getting my tattoo removed, Kyle. <laughs> gonna get a tattoo of the Klingon Empire now. You've joined the Dominion. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna get a tattoo of Odo's face. <laughs> I miss Odo. I, I miss Star Trek. I miss Star Trek, Nathan. Onward! To season two. No. <laughs> no. In Discovery, no. season three. Morn shows up. 